Have you ever wondered what it's like for other people to go through a life event? Is it the same for them? Is it different? And how? My name is Dr. Nikkel Rogers-Wood. I'm a psychologist. I'm doing a podcast with my mom, Dr. Elsa Rogers, Dean of General Studies. And we're going to be talking to different people about what it's like to go through a single life event at the same time. In this episode of At the Same Time, we're speaking with Dr. Andre Desitage. And I'm not going to introduce him here because I actually did the introduction while we were recording the podcast. I'm getting the hang of this. So Dr. Desitage has a lot of really great book suggestions. And if you're interested in pursuing any of those reading choices, I've got the information down for you in the episode notes. You'll also notice at some point during the episode that we have a little party crasher. If you listen to the whole episode, I'll tell you a little bit more about our party crasher at the end. Enjoy. So hello, everyone. Um, thank you for joining us for another episode of our podcast. And this time we have Dr. Andre Desitage joining us as a guest. You may recognize that last name. Again, I have another relative who is brilliant and has um, very graciously uh, offered to join us for this podcast as we talk about different perspectives on one life event. So Dr. Desitage is um, a consultant in spinal cord medicine, and he has a a very long and kind of varied history in terms of his education and career. He is from Trinidad and Tobago and graduated from the University of the West Indies in Jamaica. He also has a diploma in Chinese medicine and acupuncture and is a spiritual Baptist minister, but I'll let him tell you more about each (laughs) of those things because I'm sure that all of that you know, weaves together to inform how he lives his life and does his practice. So welcome to the podcast, uh, Dr. Desitaj. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Rogers Wood. You can call me Andre. That's quite fine. <laughs> My patients call me Andre. <laughs> totally um, flattened hierarchy where we are. Uh, so I usually drop the doctor title because I always remind people I was a man first before I became a doctor. Ah. Yes. So tell us a little bit more about, um, I guess, you and how you came to become a physician. And I know mom and I were really interested in all the experience and expertise you have in Chinese medicine, because we don't typically see that in physicians. Yeah. Okay, well, I'll begin from the beginning and give you a bit of background uh, so you can understand the full context. Let's begin with the motivation as to why I became a physician in the first place. Most of the family probably don't realize I was a very sickly child, okay? Oh. Um, I had made up my mind at the age of eight um, to become a doctor. Um, Even up until my teenage years, virtually every two to three months, I was ill, um, which was no fun. For mommy, daddy, or the rest of the family, uh-huh. I kept catching common colds and flus, and and I just had uh, no recovery from it whatsoever, no breaks, until I went to Jamaica uh, to study uh, first of all natural science for one year, and then ended up in the medical program. And whilst there, several discoveries were made. I was allergic to mango pollen. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! <laughs> And what do we have in the Caribbean aplenty? A mango. Mangoes. Wow. Mangoes. 
I'm also allergic to house dot mites, mites and, and so on. So eventually, um, through being treated in Jamaica, a lot of those things settled down. Um, so that was part of the reason why I became a doctor. I was also inspired by Wilfred uh, G. Chen, a retired GP who used to work in Carlton Center, San Fernando, who used to treat me through all these illnesses. <laughs> and, um, and when I told him that he was my inspiration to go to medical school when I got in, he left the room and came back. It was clear he was crying, okay? Yeah. And, uh, and after graduation, I'm happy to say that I reunited with him as a colleague through a group called Opus Dei, which is a spin-off of the Catholic Church. And for many years, uh, he and I went to several seminars on a Thursday afternoon, um, basically with spiritual training, etc. So that is part of a bit of the background. Once I completed my training in Jamaica and did two years of internship in Trinidad, I, I decided to go into surgery because I didn't have a very good experience in internal medicine oh. um, at the San Fernando General. Uh, seeing 65 patients a night on my own was no fun. Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. Uh, yeah, it was quite, it was quite difficult. But unfortunately for us at that time, the, the, opportunities for postgraduate training in Trinidad were few and far apart. Traditionally, many people came to England or Ireland for postgraduate training, or you can do the United States medical licensing exam and go to the United States. But because of personal reasons and things occurring in the family, I decided to go to England. So having completed two years of surgical training in Trinidad, <laughs> England decided to change their criteria. The hospital was assessed and failed its assessment and two years of training went down the drain oh so i was forced to come to england and repeat two years of training <laughs> which again yeah. was no fun <laughs> um but it taught me a lesson about life and that wisdom uh, that i learned was that the only constant in life is change okay and that change is quite important. You can understand, and this will foray into the Chinese medicine side of things. Um, you would notice that I actually put on my CV. Martial arts has been one of my um, greatest pursuits in life. And no, I'm not an actively practicing martial artist at the moment, but in my 20s and 30s, I trained three times a week consistently. So if you look up Purple Dragon Donjitsu Ryu by Professor Don Jacob in Trinidad, his former sensei, Carlyle Thorne, who was also a preacher, was my very first uh, martial art instructor. And through the understanding of martial arts, most masters of martial arts are trained in some form of medicine to treat injuries. I began to understand a bit more about the concept of energy medicine, um, what people call chi flow in the Orient. And I was always a skeptic about it. And shortly before I left Trinidad, I had the opportunity to learn acupuncture and did not take it um, mm -hmm. because, again, I was a skeptic until I developed insomnia with all the moving around and all the stress. And can you imagine being in surgical training, not being able to sleep, and your general practitioner, family practitioner offering you uh, a benzodiazepine to, to help you sleep? Well, there was no way. 
I was going into an operating theater hungover from benzodiazepines. So I just threw a prescription away. Uh, So what I did is that I decided to find out, well, how best can I get this treated? And whilst walking uh, streets of South London, I stumbled upon uh, a Chinese medical uh, physician who ran a practice and explained what the problem was and had my very first consultation. And I went from sleeping two hours a night in the space of one week to sleeping 14 hours a night Wow. <laughs> through Chinese medical herbs and wow. acupuncture. That's amazing. I, <laughs> yeah. I went on a journey after that to discover why on earth did that work when everything else that was recommended failed and discovered that there was an entire system of medicine out there thousands of years old based on simple naturally occurring phenomenon that you see all around you and take for granted every day through which you can relate all the changes that take place in the human body Um, and in doing so i decided to formally train in it and that led me to train under uh, my deceased professor may man fong who was the founder of the very first disposable acupuncture needle and he runs a group called the Chinese, or ran a group called the Chinese Medical Institute and Register, which I am the vice president. I'll say honorary because I'm not active anymore. And through his training and the training of at least seven other uh, professors of Chinese medicine, I graduated in 2002 with a diploma in Chinese medicine and acupuncture. So how does that fit in with what I currently do? Uh-huh. Right, very easily. Um, I asked that question for a long time until I saw my first proper spinal cord injured patients and realized how much neuropathic pain, which is nerve-related pain that they can get. And some people just cannot tolerate the Western oral medications. However, you can treat spasm, you can treat trigger points, and you can treat neuropathic pain with acupuncture and fortunately for me um, I slotted directly into my current um, position very nicely because one of the senior um, clinic nurses that we have is also fully trained in Chinese medicine oh, acupuncture that's perfect. and has a thriving practice in the NHS treating patients with neuropathic pain and so Basically, as a senior registrar in training, I basically attended her clinic and got my hands back in with the medium and so on. So she has a bigger practice than I do because I have other things that I do. Um, but yes, I do see quite a few pain patients and I deliver acupuncture for pain control. So that's how that fit in. So going back to career, um, did neurosurgery for almost 10 years in training passed the exams, but for health reasons, had to make a switch, which led me to physical medicine and rehabilitation, as you call it in the States. That's just rehabilitation medicine here. And discovered that that is where I should have been in the first place. (laughs) (laughs) I'm enjoying every minute of it. Um, And quite graciously, the patients uh, trained me quite well, I have to say. And um, yeah, so that led me to be in the position that I'm in today. It's so fascinating, that journey. And I I think that for me, I very often assume 
that, you know, I, I know very little about Chinese medicine. I only became more interested in it as I, you know, kind of got older and had children. Um, but I've always assumed that Western medicine and Chinese medicine, like nary the two shall meet. But it sounds like really um, they weave very well together. Yeah, it depends on the attitude and the system that you're in. Um, certainly in, in the United Kingdom, there's an active interest in alternative medicines, okay? So there's Ayurvedic medicine being practiced mainly in the private sector, but we do have NHS centers of integrated medicine here where patients come not only for supportive psychotherapy and all the different pain therapies I just alluded to, um, but they also get treated with things like osteopathy, homeopathic medicine, you know. So England is very open-minded from that point of view. But one of the things we're quite strict on is safety and proper regulation. So, you know, we have very sort of high standards in the health professional uh, services and so on in terms of who can actually practice and who um, does a patient turn to if something doesn't go according to plan, all right? So it's not like everybody can just practice what they've been trained in. You have to do your CPD just like everywhere else. And it's fairly similar to what the United States have um, with the different state licensures uh, for the different uh, aspects of medicine. We don't have a state by state here in the United Kingdom, but certainly there are national regulatory bodies that look after those things. Wow, that is fascinating. I mean, you made a point just now, uh, Andre, about... um... I think it was your skepticism at first uh, in sort of delving into Chinese uh, med- medicine. Uh, do you think that the mind has any um, plays any part in perhaps the healing process, especially in cases like uh, the use of acupuncture? Okay, so I will let uh, I will I will start talking and I'll let Mikhail interject if I say anything wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay, oh, <yeah>. so. <laughs> So I am a firm I am a firm believer in mind over matter. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, there is a field called psychoneuroimmunology, and you may not believe this, but you can actually feel your own energy field. That was demonstrated to me first in martial arts, and through the Chinese medical group I, I trained with, I met a Tai Chi practitioner. Um, and the things he could do were, were, were amazing. And I'll, I'll tell you about another experience shortly, but this particular chap was a family practitioner. And um, he wasn't even a master of martial arts. He was just a senior Tai Chi student. He used to stand across the room and point at an acupuncture point, and you can literally feel something boring into your skin. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Okay, um, and those sorts of things sort of made me want to understand, well, you know, what's going on here? Have you ever heard of Kirlian photography? No, no. Okay, so Kirlian photography, K-I-R-L-I-A-N, if I remember it correctly, right. is the ability to, to take a photograph of any living organism and, demonstrates its, and demonstrate its aura or energy field. So, for example, if you have a plant and there's a green leaf and, and you pinch that leaf off and you take a photograph afterwards, 
for several hours after that leaf is plucked, you will still see um, on the Korean photograph the energy field as if the leaf is still there. Okay. Mm -hmm. Similarly, every human being, you, you know, you generate um, from an intact nervous system a bioelectric energy field. Okay. Think of it almost like the magnetic field of the Earth with a North Pole and South Pole. This is why sometimes, uh, let's say somebody uh, walks into a room behind you and you, you feel the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. Mm -hmm. That is because that person has invaded your bioelectric energy field. Huh. Okay? Okay. Other people are so sensitive, for example, they can walk into a room and just know who's been in the room before. Mm -hmm. or, or whether they were talking about you or not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And even in this dialogue here, one of the things about energy uh, from physics, energy can neither be created nor destroyed. It can only be transferred from one state to the next. Okay? Yeah. So as I am speaking to you and we're dialoguing backward and forward, the energy of what I am saying and my experience in energy form is being transmitted to your nervous system. Okay? Mm -hmm. Now, depending on my level of training... And this is the basis of a lot of arts like Reiki, for example. Mm -hmm. Okay. Through influencing your nervous system, a highly trained practitioner can cause changes in your own body, even through the internet, through conversation. And no, I'm not like that. <laughs> <laughs> Just checking. <laughs> so you don't have to worry. <laughs> so you don't have to worry. I'm not like that. Um, but, but there are people that highly trained in the world. Okay. Now, how does mind over matter come into this? Patients who believe that something will work are known to have the placebo effect. Everybody knows about that. Mm -hmm. But those who believe also get more objective changes that can be measured. For example, we know that when acupuncture is delivered, there are changes that can take place in your liver enzymes. There are, there's an autonomic change in the skin galvanic response. Yes, so the, the electrical resistance of the skin around the needle changes. We know that there are different hormones that can take place. Now, in the 80s and 90s, uh, we believed that they had to have an intact nervous system for acupuncture to work. Okay, that is true. I'm not going to deny that. A lot of the literature says so. Um, and yes, acupuncture does work by a lot of endorphin release and serotonin release and um, all of these different neurotransmitters that, that come out. You know. But what about these spinal cord injured patients? Mm -hmm. They have a disrupted nervous system. What about stroke patients? They have a disrupted nervous system. And yet you get a systemic response. So does the nervous system need to be fully intact? The answer is no, it does not. Now, this brings back to, brings back to a concept, you know, there's this term lost in translation. Mm -hmm. Yes? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So every time anybody talks about uh, acupuncture and Chinese medicine, they tell you that the she in inverted commas, which is the flow of energy, goes through the meridians. The original term was never meridians. 
the original terms is channels okay mm -hmm. and these channels are for want of a better term low resistance soft tissue planes that the neurovascular bundles where the vein artery nerves tend to run just so happen to be in that same excuse the pun vein <laughs> okay and it's that flow that low resistance area that tends to transmit these things so it is truly a biochemical channel it, it is literally what the original mandarin texts in the yellow emperor uh, classic textbook of chinese medicine says it's literally a channel and not necessarily a meridian meridian was just a term to help western minds understand what they were trying to say but in the process of translation that meaning was lost mm. okay so we have mind over matter from the point of view of a person having a placebo response that is one form of it the other mind over matter is simply a manipulation from a physical point of view so for example if i wanted to get any of you to relax else i would massage your neck <laughs> okay um, um so, because the biochemical response to massage is fairly similar to what you would get from acupuncture but the third form that most people don't know about that is well known in in Chinese martial arts circles is a practice called qigong. Okay, now what qigong? Gong, gong means you know good, strong, hard work. Yes, mm -hmm. and qi obviously is energy. So you so this is a practice of the cultivation of, in scientific terms, your dielectric energy fields. Now that is interesting, because. In the process of going through my journey, I actually met a Qigong master in particular circles. His name is Master Lam Kam Chen. And it was through meeting him that I began to realize that there was overlap between the East and the Western practices because he was being sent patients from a hospital that shall remain nameless, uh -huh. <laughs> a very prominent hospital in London. Mm. People who could not have surgery for their difficult spines, who were walking over, bent over, and through Qigong practice, he got them to straighten up. That's incredible. Okay? Through just standing still, breathing, learning to feel your own dielectric field, and re-regulating the qi flow through your organs, these people got better. And that fascinated me because I'd never seen anything like that before. It's slow, but if I had a choice between having somebody like like me open up my spine and put metal work in versus standing still for 20 minutes a day for six, seven weeks and my back is now straight and my pain is gone, mm -hmm. I will stand straight for 20 minutes a day for six weeks every time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's okay. remarkable. Yeah. So let me ask you another question about this, because like I said, I don't really know much about it, but I think the first time I got interested in it was about three years ago. Right. And I um, went on an anniversary trip and it was nice and long. And then I did like a, a massage and I guess the woman did some sort of acupressure. Mm -hmm. And when this woman was doing this massage, I, I felt some sort of warmth release yep. and move is that what this feels like yes so what um 
what Master Chen uh, taught me was that she can feel like anything. You know that the human tendency, for example, is to fight noise. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, but noise is just a form of energy. Accept it, is what he taught me. Because I was always an individual, I couldn't handle noise. I, and I still can't. But I have learned to accept noise for what it is. Noise. Okay? Accept it, use it, and move on. Now, in your particular case, that warm feeling that you felt was actually your chi flow. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it could be a chi flow from your practitioner as well. That is also possible. Mm -hmm. Okay? And many times... Um, whenever you have especially acute sharp pains in Chinese medical terms, that is like the sink being plugged up mm. and uh. the sink overflowing with water. So all they do is either reroute it through a different channel or unclear the plug. Unclearing the plug, that can take lots of sessions of acupuncture or a lot of times herbal therapy. But uh, through a process of acupressure, Yes, you can actually release um, my talking technical terms here. Sorry, myofascial triggers. You can release knotted muscles. Um, you can even cause muscles, okay, to contract and relax in certain sequences in order to realign people's spine. I don't have that training, but I know that there are people that can do it. Okay, so yes, uh, you know, you touched on something quite important without realizing it, Nicole. Okay, mm -hmm. there. So the, the human body, okay, is such a marvelously designed machine. We can talk for hours on end and, and just scratch the surface. But in a nutshell, think of your spine like a river, okay? Mm -hmm. Signals, we, we know that there are signals that go up and down the spinal cord, mm -hmm. yes? Right. So it's, like, so, so it's a river that flows in both directions, okay? But that river through anatomical pathways, aka spinal nerves, okay, also have branches that reach out to the joints of your spine and into your muscle. Now, on either side of the bony spine, there's a big bulk of muscles going up and down, okay? Roughly half a centimeter off that spine, there's some points, and those points are called hao tao jiaji, if I have the correct pronunciation right. But those points literally align with where the, the cutaneous nerves come out vertically through through gaps in the muscle onto your skin hmm. and many times when we needle and, and do acupressure we are actually interfering with those points now here's something a lot of people don't know you can manipulate the autonomic nervous system through those very uh -huh. points and we often do without realizing hmm. it so that is why you get this feeling of general well-being. Your pulse slows down. You feel warmth going through your skin as the sympathetic nervous system calms down. The parasympathetic picks up and all the blood flow starts to increase. And you get a general feeling of well-being throughout the body with the increased endorphin and serotonin release. So there are lots of Western explanations for the actual feeling that you got. Okay. Because I often wondered, because it's happened, I think, one other time when I went to a Chinese practitioner of massage, and I just thought, that's too much of, of a coincidence, and I want to know more about what this is, because I think, you know, as a psychologist, part of what we talk a lot about um, is mindfulness, and 
I learned more yeah. about that when I was doing um, several years in like nursing homes. So there was more health psychology stuff. So I'm not going to give you medication. Yes. You've got a chronic illness. It's not going away. What sort of interventions can we use to help you manage your pain and despondency as you make adjustments to your new reality? And so I think probably for me, getting interested in um, more kind of Eastern philosophies around these things, like it's just, it's only picked up more um, as I've practiced and also just lived my life and seen new things. So this is fascinating. Yes. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I'm a huge John Kabat-Zinn fan. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Mindfulness therapy has um, taken off in the NHS. Okay. We actually have uh, formalized uh, CVs that we give out to our patients use um but part of mindfulness again goes back to the let's go back to the origin of it yes it's from buddhist philosophies and stuff like that um but the reality of it is okay remember i said the only constant in life is change mm-hmm. okay so if you think of the yin yang symbology okay you know that symbol with the black and white uh-huh thing going around in circle, yin and mm-hmm. yang, at the center of that, the center of that doesn't change. But yet change is constantly occurring. So how could change constantly occur and yet be constant? Hmm. And that's what catches a lot of people out. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that, that statement I made was not by chance. It was by design. The only constant in life really truly is change. Now, qigong. And mindfulness go hand in hand. Part of the reason why people find it difficult to conceptualize mindfulness is because everything in the modern world is external to us and we are stimulated. Okay? Mm -hmm. And filtering out those stimuli requires training, in my view. Okay? Um, One of the things that you know there's there's the ego that's internal noise yes that is that is you and the product of all your experiences uh, telling you that you know this is who you are this is your identity you know and that's why i made the point of saying that you know, when little me voice said i'm not spock I, I am not doctor this that and the other right yes I, more let more letters i have i have more letters behind my name than in my name that kind of thing <laughs> <laughs> that kind of nonsense all right because 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 it doesn't help you right at the end of the day i'm not when i leave this planet i'm not going to take any of that with me that's going to stay somewhere in some dusty old (laughs) polar somewhere yeah but who is the real you so you have to put aside the ego but few people are mindful of the thoughts that they're producing and some sometimes when you take them on that journey I don't know what your experience. I'm no psychologist, but some people actually get scared by their own thoughts. Mm. Absolutely. That's why I think, especially in the digital age, we're having a yeah. lot of trouble with younger people who have never had the space of nothingness. So yes. it's, and I have a lot of clients, because that's, that's the population that I specialize with, that yes. they pick up the phone without even realizing that they're doing it. There's no... Mm. I think I read a book a couple of um, months ago about how the real um, 
opportunity to know yourself is in the spaces between thoughts, between actions in that kind of nothingness. While also, you know, that's quite scary because that's intimidating. It's, it's, um, it's not predictable and it's not definable. It's just kind of this, this space that you just exist in. And I think that that creates a bit of an existential crisis for a lot of people, young and older. Um, and so we avoid it. Exactly. And I, I think some people are afraid of the journey because we are taught that you're supposed to be this, you know, and, and, and you, you didn't grow up in Trinidad. So I'm sure that um, Elsa will testify to this, you know, um, especially in a lot of Asian families. You're the doctor, you're the lawyer, you're the engineer. That's you know, your identity is, is given to you at a very young age. Yes. And you are stared, you are stared in that direction. <laughs> and, 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 and not only that, it's your parents. Who are your parents? That's somehow yeah. the first thing that identifies you. Oh, you know, she yes. is this one's child. She's that one's child. And you begin to build on that. Correct. So, so, so in, in the process of doing that, you know, you have to, to come to a true understanding of yourself. Um, I recall a passage, a, a statement in a book called Conversations with God. I've forgotten the name of the author, but if you, if you ever get a chance to read that book, you should. Um, because there's a very profound statement in it. In order to experience who you are, you first have to experience who you are not. Mm. And my journey is a classic example of that. So you start off as a natural scientist and you switch to medicine. So you're not a natural scientist. You clearly need to go into medicine. You start off as a surgeon and, you know, you experience that. And then you realize, well, actually, no, Maybe Chinese medicine, start off in Chinese medicine, you realize, well, actually, yes, this is it, but this is not the sum totality of it. There's, there's more to this. And then you end up switching careers from surgery into to spinal cord medicine, and suddenly you realize, oh, yeah, this is it. So finally, after, what, how many years was that? <laughs> <laughs> you tell me. <laughs> I'm, not gonna, I'm not even going to say. <laughs> and, it's, and the journey is never over, because what happens is, is that you go through this this phase, you know, in martial arts terms, ego, I, focus, she, and sanction. Sanction is a state of being where some people call it enlightenment. It is a state of peak concentration where you you understand everything that is happening around you and inside of you, right? And you go through that in cycles and you experience who you are not and you, you know, through a process of elimination, is like you're, you're almost like Thomas Edison, you know, next, mm-hmm. next, next, oh, this mm-hmm. is the one that works, and that, that's that's your fit, that's that's your center. Now you are the constant that changes because you begin to evolve. You have to get to that state where the evolution within you can take place on every level, psychologically, spiritually, physically, emotionally, socially. That requires courage. Taking that journey requires a lot of courage. And the trouble is, is that if you get a fixed mindset, you know, Carol Dweck, mindset, growth Mm -hmm. mindset. Yes. If you have a fixed mindset and not a growth mindset, Mm -hmm. you will stymie your journey and you will never reach your fullest potential. Right, right. That is wow. true. That is so true. Wow. The it's really is never over. 
that, that's the part that I think is so interesting because like we talk about this in psychology a lot because um, really a lot of why people come in to see me in addition to the, you know, their own psychic pain is this fear of change, which is, you know, the only constant. Right. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's very interesting to kind of talk about the growth mindset as well, because I, I believe in American culture, there's this idea of work hard enough and you have arrived. Correct. Yeah. And I think that that also creates a crisis for people because it's like, great, I have gotten to the, the top of this ladder and there is no top because there, I got to the, you know, the clouds and emerged and realized there's more ladder and I don't know what to do with that. But, but I, and Sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. But, but I also think that some people feel that arriving at a certain point will, will, will ensure happiness or that it will mean yes. success. And that doesn't come from external environment, but it actually is internal. And if you don't have yeah. internally, you could be at the bottom of the ladder, at the top of the ladder, you're still dissatisfied because something is missing. Okay, yeah. this. I, I'm, I'm glad you raised that point also because the a lot of people's, uh, and I will use the term existential crises, okay? stem from how we define success. Correct. Yes. Okay. So I'll share with you my definition of success. It's a very strange definition and it's, 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 I'm sure I will change it at some point, but so far I find no need to change it. Uh. But for me, success is finding joy and inspiration in process. Hmm. So it's the journey. It's, it's the journey that matters. Yes. Mm. How you conduct yourself on the journey. It is taking that first step to your highest purpose. Mm -hmm. You see that question, why? Yeah. That is one of the most powerful educational questions. Eh? Mm -hmm. You know, mm. and there's this nice, here's another nice book for you. There's a book uh, called Finding Your Why. Finding your why. I'm writing all of these yeah. down on my list of books to read. It's, 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 it's a book called, it's called Find Your Why by Simon Sinek, S-I-N-E-K. There, there are little things in life that trigger you. Sometimes you don't know why you walk through that particular door or yeah. open that window. And it, it, it's little things that happen that, that sort of changes the, the, the fork in the road, if you want to use it, that, that, that symbol. 100% correct, okay? That is 100% correct because, um, but you're quite right, you know, a slight change, a single, a, a tiny little shift with a lot of power behind it. It's like you're sitting down in a, you know, aircraft and you make a slight shift on the compass and you can end up 100 miles off course. Okay? It doesn't take a lot to derail someone equally, it doesn't take much to get them back on, on track. Right, right. Okay. And that is a, a very important point. And this is where time becomes a leverage for an individual. Okay. If you spend more time doing the things that matter and less time on the things that don't, the changes that take place in, in your life will happen so fast you won't be able to keep up 
that is why you know I mentioned about the Rose Foundation. So I have to, t- I have to give them a shout. <laughs> <laughs> right, Lita Sterling and Mother Marcia um, have been spiritual mentors of mine since I was seven years old. The realization of selfless expression—that is the journey that we are all on. Mm-hmm. It is every human being's highest purpose. That is why Jesus came. He came to show you how to do it. And that is why I wrote the book. Yes, tell us tell us about that book. And also, and this might have to be a question for after you tell us about the book, but I often wonder, um, because I think there's so much overlap between different um, faith traditions, yeah. but very often... Um, Culturally, we, we try to keep them very separate. And so I, I wonder, like, in your journey, how did you weave your belief in the Christian religious tradition with what you've learned about um, Eastern philosophy and traditions, you know, yeah. their spiritual traditions? Okay, so you have to be very selective. I'll be the first one to say that I don't practice every single thing that I learned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Um, what I will say is this. Let's, let's talk about what I call the seven manifestations of divine love, all right? And they're very simple. Everyone can use it. It's not, this is not mine. This is what Jesus demonstrated when he was here. So knowing, guiding, serving, doing, teaching, sharing, giving. Gave it up, all of it. That is the process. And that is what I find joy and inspiration in. If you want to achieve anything, Know it, guide, seek guidance, serve, go volunteer, do it, okay? Teach it to someone else, right? Share your experience, give it as a gift, yes? The same principle applies to business. You can use that same process to develop any business, okay? And then give it up. Why do you want to keep a business? Give it up and start a new one. Mm. This could be applied to any discipline, any endeavor, whether it be in whatever sphere of your life. It is a process that Jesus demonstrated by his very behavior. Okay? So I got inspiration for that on Mount St. Benedict in my 20s. And I have been teaching it ever since because the world's concept of what love is, that isn't love, you know. Love is an active demonstration of those seven principles. And here's the thing. Many of us get to the point of sharing it, but given doesn't come that easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And when we say we share, most of us don't share equally. <laughs> right. We share unequally. Mm-hmm. Keeping. But if you don't share... Sorry, keeping keeping the best or the most for yourself. Correct. Correct. And in the process of doing so, who do you harm the most? Your truest self, because then you never get to experience who you truly are. Well, but I think, really, it takes sacrifice to get there, if that makes sense. And so I think comfort is the enemy of change. Um because I noticed that with, with just in psychology that if, even if my situation isn't great or I'm not my best self, if I'm really comfortable, I do a little cost benefit analysis and I kind of go, 
mm, it's going to cost me too much yeah. to shift because it, it, we we don't shift very easily as I think as human beings. Um, but the reward for just this, this life experience, I think is great, but gosh, it's hard. Yes, it yeah. is. Yeah, it is. It is. It very much is. And you know, I'm uh, kind of switching topics a bit. Nikali talked about life experience and we've been experiencing something that uh, the world saw in 1918 and we are kind of experiencing it again in, in light of the pandemic uh, that's uh, currently here how has yes. um how has it been for you and your family and more importantly for the people in england okay so personally um well where do i start <laughs> all right um, let me give you a quote that I've put on WhatsApp with the family recently. Uh, social distancing does not mean that you have to be socially distant. Because so many people have been on lockdown, when you do go out, people who have been living in their own little worlds have all come out of their shells. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And now, when you say good morning, you get an answer back. <laughs> <laughs> yes, everyone's ready to talk. Because people are now craving human interaction like I've never seen. Okay? Mm -hmm. um, on a more jovial level, it was interesting to see um, toilet paper becoming the new currency of the future. <laughs> <laughs> so it's happening there, too. Yes. It was, also, it was also interesting to see soap become like gold ingots. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, let's get serious here, okay? Um, <laughs> no, um, the, schools, the schools got locked down for obvious reasons. Uh, so my two boys have had to be home and they're being schooled over the internet uh, at the moment. And it's led to having to adjust to working hours and I've had to remote work every Tuesday. In terms of the larger community and what's happened in England and Scotland and Wales, uh, Ireland, um, you see the good, bad and the ugly as in any society. You've seen, you know, I personally have seen extraordinary acts of kindness, extraordinary courage amidst the anxiety. Okay, um, I mean, we have this Captain Tom in his 90s who's just raised how much million by oh, doing right. a walk a fun in his back garden with his Zimmer frame, you know, mm -hmm. something close to 28 million or something like that. Mm -hmm. That is amazing. Okay, all because of that community spirit of wanting to do your part, no matter how small, to help. And we have examples of extraordinary courage and willingness to help like that. Um, then we have the people who are hoarding, uh, people who are deliberately profiteering and causing difficulties. Um, and then those are the, the, the other group that are deliberately flaunting, but those are in the minority. I, I think the public um, in all parts of the United Kingdom deserve a, a good pat on the back because they have taken this lockdown very seriously in the beginning i don't think uh, that we did because there was this sort of false belief that, that that's over there that's 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 across the world that's over there 
Mm -hmm. uh, thinking, uh, I think, was in some people's minds. But once it became very clear that this was serious and it was coming, um, I think the authorities, the governments, and so on, they acted fairly quickly to do the lockdown. They were criticized, obviously, because everybody has an opinion. Um, but they acted on scientific advice and lockdown at what they were told was the optimal time. And like everywhere else in the world, um, the PPE, you know, personal protective equipment crisis loomed. Uh, you know, the, the question was, do we have enough to go around? Are we wearing the appropriate level of equipment to see patients and so on? Personally speaking, I wasn't too affected by that because our specialty is a very small one, even though we're a national unit. We didn't get really that affected by it. But the bigger, um, the main hospital where all those patients were, you know, there was a lot of angst, a lot of anxiety. Um, you know, major shifts in the way we worked professionally. All our clinics had to be cancelled and went remote, um, which is a different dimension. Um, trying to examine patients over telephone. I imagine, <laughs> my goodness. Yeah, the meetings having to occur in big open spaces. Uh, two meter distancing, you know, recognizing that some people still think that two feet and two meters are the same thing and you have to re-educate <laughs> them. Um, we had all that to deal with. Uh, so in a nutshell, it has been a life-changing experience for everyone in terms of its greater meaning. It's certainly on our side, in my personal opinion, this is not representative of where I work, but it certainly has exposed weaknesses in the system that need shoring up, okay? Lots of weaknesses, technological weaknesses. Um, it has called into question, you know, we are doing this probably a mobile tradition. Do we really need to be practicing in this way? What can we do to improve patient experience and to, to increase the interaction with relatives? And, you know, I feel sorry for the relatives and the patients the most who are in hospitals and institutions because they can't see each other. Mm -hmm. So, you know, staff have gone through, you know, extra steps, taking going the extra mile to, to make people feel at home. Um, we've had donations coming in to the extent where we've had to give away. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah. No, the, the kindness that I've seen is extraordinary. You know, I don't think I'll have another experience. Well, first of all, let's, I, I hope I don't experience the only time. Exactly. But, but, but I've seen such extraordinary courage and kindness from the British public for people who have suffered through this, you know, that, that is absolutely amazing. And of course, there will be critics. There will be critics, okay? Because, you know, the, you know, and by the way, I've counted how many times the word unprecedented has been used on the radio. Oh, and I, I stopped, I stopped after a fortnight when I passed a thousand. <laughs> because everybody's using this term unprecedented, unprecedented, unprecedented in our lifetime. Yes. And if you look in the cities, like in Thailand, for example, the boons were entering the cities. Why? Well, man is no longer there to litter the place for them to feed. So they're coming into the city center to find food. 
But we've had something like that when some of the like the aquarium where you see uh, penguins uh, just kind of walking around because there are no human beings or bears being more prevalent in some of the um, the parks because again no no human being is there to hunt them or to kind of chase them back out away from their home mm -hmm. their natural habitat so yes things have changed yeah and you know will we ever go back to complete normality my personal view is no i think that um that we will be conducting ourselves in life very differently from here on um for the london underground that's great because i've always hated those crowded tubes <laughs> oh. yeah oh my goodness i think about you know i don't live in a place with a lot of public transit but i've always um mm -hmm. i liked cities that had it but this is a game changer you can't cram into those tubes or you know tea trains or anything like that things are going to have to be done very differently how that will evolve you know will reveal itself in time but uh overall if i was to sum up in general how the british public has taken this entire thing the two words would be with grace which was surprising to see and very welcome. But obviously, mm. as I said, there will obviously be the bad and ugly elements. But by and large, they took it on the chin and kept fighting. It's very nice to hear. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, Andre, we want to be respectful of your time because you've given us um, so much today. But um, Mom, did you want to ask him the question that we're asking all of our guests this season? Yes. Andre, if you had the opportunity to speak to your 15 year old self right now what would you tell him <laughs> stay in jamaica <laughs> <laughs> i would tell him stay in jamaica um because i've always considered jamaica my second home um and in terms of career path and life you know you can't change your life experiences once you have them but i think my journey would have been a little bit shorter and i would have advanced a lot quicker if i was in jamaica but it is what it is right you take the journey that you're on the way you take it for a reason and you know when you choose a particular path sometimes you may not understand your choice at the time you take it not because you don't truly understand your choice you know it's because you're not ready to accept the choice that you have already made. Oh. When you reach the stage, and when I reach the stage that, that I can say, okay, yes, I understand why I did that now. Now you have truly found yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, You've given us a whole lot to not only think about, but I think to read. And um, we really appreciate it. Yes, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. There are so many, I think, just different things that we were able to learn about um, that um, it's unexpected from you know a Western-trained physician <laughs> in a good yeah. way, in a really great way. Yeah, thank yeah. you. It's been great fun. Thank you for reaching out. Uh, I enjoyed this. Oh, I'm so glad. 
I really enjoyed what Dr. Desitage had to say about change and how that's the only constant and that we have to work to get used to it and learn to embrace it as well as how life isn't really linear, that it's not about racing to the goal, but it's more about paying attention along the journey and learning what we can about ourselves and this life. Oh, the party crasher was my dad, Dr. Hudson Rogers. And well, at this point in time, I am pleased to say he is retired. He's a retired provost, dean, department chair, and right now he is grandpa extraordinaire. As a matter of fact, uh, the other day I was privy to a conversation between he and my son that ended with, and that's how you speak dog. So I hope my dad is enjoying his retirement and occasionally crashing our podcast. Like I said, Dr. Desitage's reading recommendations are in our episode notes. Season one isn't done yet. We have a few more episodes and our grand finale is something really special. So I hope you'll join us. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to rate and subscribe to At The Same Time on whatever platform you use to get your podcasts. That way, you won't miss a single episode. We'd love for you to connect with us online. Our website is sametimepod.fireside.fm. You can also follow us on Twitter, at sametimepod. Music by purpleplanet.com. Copyright 2020 by Mikkel Rogers Wood, PhD, and Elsa Rogers, PhD.